somebody else's pants i know even though this is my house (laughs) it still feels completely unnatural i have to say though it's exactly kind of what i imagined i would want a studio to be like you know there's guitars on the floor there's one of those rugs that looks really cool there's a couple of leopard geckos and an unfinished uh snake tank I like it. I'm I'm still out of sorts. I don't know. I was hoping that like on this episode I would just nail it, you know. Well, we haven't even started, so maybe you I'm will. I'm projecting. I'm <laughs> it's like uh, uh, oh. dings and dangs, yeah. all kinds of things going on. All right. We so should. it's uh What are we calling the studio? I called it Castle Grayskull. Sure, great. Fine. <laughs> Actually, your house is Castle Grayskull mm-hmm. and we are nestled Underneath. Yeah, we're in the dungeon of Castle Grayskull. This is the dungeon of yes. Castle Grayskull. A lot of famous people were interviewed in this room in my That's old true. podcast. Josh Laff is in. Yeah. All right, let's get going. Okay. I'm stressing out. Okay. Let's see, I can't read it. I'm doing this. That light bulb is out, and I can't fix it because it's not a normal light bulb. How about that? It's like the mic is here and I'm here. Okay, let's try it, ready? All right. And we're back. Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads in their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm Nat X. And I'm Mike. And boy, do we have a show for you. Yeah. Today on RMA. Welcome to a brand new era for RMA as we sit in our new studio buried deep within the honeycomb earth. <laughs> Nat emerges from a major life reboot after closing the shop and taking on new challenges. But alas... The show must go on. Alas. Alas. You're not happy to be here. Alas, it must go on. And so it will with a Recovery in the News <laughs> special edition and so much more today on a very special edition of RMA. Is that the first time you read that out loud? You know, I, I'm trying to get my groove going here. I'm having trouble. Natty got his groove back. So stressed out. And I got it. I like, I wanted to be relaxed and just boom uh we should we should have uh, gotten into the delta eight this yes. episode brought to you by the recovery in the middle ages patreon what is a patreon a patreon is a members only subscription service featuring discord private messaging chat and video meeting platform for all patrons all that stuff it's like having a recovery support family right at your fingertips mm. Members will also get extra mini shows if we ever get around to making another one. <laughs> oh, we're making one. Pictures and exclusive merch for joining in an added level of support for recovery. Go to patreon.com slash recovery in the middle ages to learn more and to sign up. Are we almost at the point where the goodies are being sent out? Uh, three months. Three months. Mm-hmm. So Back, the, does, yeah. I was thinking about this the other day. Is that because Patreon wants to make sure that the people are paying for three months in a row before they send out the mug? That's exactly That's what they're doing. <laughs> so like, you can't just sign up, get the mug, and then take off. You know? Did you know that the creator of Patreon <clears throat> also plays in a group called Pomplamoose? They're, um, the French word for grapefruit. Grapefruit, of course. One of my Who favorite French that? words. <laughs> um, anyway, he and his uh, wife, like... Uh, if you get a chance, look them up on YouTube. They're really good. They they put together like bands and they do covers of um, like classic songs. Like they did um, a couple of Hall and Oates. Uh, some um, what's the one with Jeff Lynn? I have no idea. Yeah, you do. Uh, which 
ELO, a couple of ELO covers. Really good stuff. Um, and they're very tight, and they're really excellent musicians. You should check them out. Love it when they're tight. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm starting to feel it. I'm starting See? to feel it. Life is returning. Let's try this. Welcome to all the monsters listening stateside, around the world, down the street, across the table, and right next door. Welcome all. All. Settle in, buckle up, and get ready for excitement, comedy, tragedy, intrigue, mystery, and so much more. Where can they find us, Mike? Mike, Mike. They're going to find me at the chiropractor's office if I have to keep <laughs> bending over like this to talk into the microphone. I'm, I've not gotten my um, we have my to, feng shui is fucked up. Yeah. Like, I, I, can't, I can't get it right. I'm going to need a different... Uh, you can find us at... Where else? MiddleAgesRecovery.com, oh. our now functioning website. Uh, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and more. Uh, come hang out with us. Oh, shirts. <laughs> I forgot to mail the one shirt someone bought. I am going to mail it. You can. I can mail it. I have everything here. Because it's one of the old shirts. Oh, then you have to mail it. Yes. I don't have the old shirts. I will do it. Um, yeah. Hang out with us. Yeah, come On Facebook out. and on the Patreon. Uh, we Funny memes. The latest news and views on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and now on the Inner Sanctum at patreon.com slash recovery in the middle of ages. Blah. Uh, join our recovery support in Munster Hangout Den. Did you just write this today or has this no, always been? No, that's been it. Um, That's the thing. On the private Facebook group found on our public facing page under groups. Uh, did you notice that, that Facebook is not calling itself that anymore? Like when you click on the. Meta. It's meta, but it's like meta business solutions. Like when you click on the thing, it's, it makes. I'm not it, sure what it means and why they have to change the name. I don't know, but they lost $200 billion in market cap today. This is why I don't invest. Mm. It's also because I have no money to invest. Well, Ben has Facebook stock. I bought, I bought some for him. Well, <laughs> no, he, it does that too with his green light. He's not, ha- he's not happy today. No. Um, oh, weekly RMA meetings. Yeah, every Sunday, 11.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, we all get together and do a really cool recovery meeting. And I am thinking, as I was driving home from my new job today, mm. I was like, maybe I can do a commuter meeting where like, on my way home from work, we can, you know, call it in and... That sounds safe. Yeah. I I shouldn't do that. Never mind. <laughs> I nearly killed myself driving home today in this fog. It's very foggy here. And it's, I'm distracted. Uh, I get so distracted. It's very Transylvania-like. <laughs> Castle Grayskull beneath the fog. Leave us a five-star review. I command you. <laughs> Just hey, go do it. Ask and you shall receive. Wait. I think we should read it without saying who it's from first. Agreed. And then we can tell them who it's from after. Should they call the hotline? Did you say that? You should call the hotline. Nobody called the hotline this All week. Right, How many times can I have to, do I have to say call the hotline before somebody calls the hotline? Call the There's hotline. There's thousands of you that listen every week. What are you, you, we'll play you afraid it. of talking on the phone? We will Just play pick it. Pick it up. I, you know what? They don't know the number. Right. Well, that's because it's 516-888-6297. I should put that in the show notes if I don't. Already. It's in there. It's in there. Oh, your show notes. Yeah, the show notes. The show notes. Uh, I would say it's because millennials don't like to talk on the phone, but I, I think most of our... Um, people like to be heard. You know, they love to hear... Like for most me, of our people are older than that. I love to hear myself on the radio. So maybe right. I'll call it in. <laughs> you already did. <laughs> I did. Uh, so call us up, tell us what's All up, right. and we will play it. We got two reviews. We got two reviews. It looks like I forgot to... Oh, no. I did put it on. You got it. Two reviews. This guy, the first one, or lady, uh, Maggers NM, 
uh, gives a five-star review, and the title is Recovery for Any Age. Mm. Mike and Nett share recovery with humor, insights, and experience. Worth a listen for anyone seeking a way forward without alcohol. Yeah. Thank you so much. I would uh, say we're worth maybe a couple listens, even. Yeah. Yeah. Give us a listen. Almost 100. So this next guy writes, uh, (laughs) the the title of his review is Great Multi-Perspective Recovery Banter. That's very very astute. Almost as if... The person is a writer of some, some sort. Uh, I dig this show, especially when they have authors live in studio. Wink. Right. My fave is the banter about their personal family lives. That's why I listen. They are both so human and likable. I've never been called human and likable at the yeah, same time. Me neither. I've been called a lot of things. Human is not one of them. I am a 12-step guy, 1,000%, but I learn from critiques and the various modalities, too. I find myself rooting for these guys and the whole RMA community. It's a lovely and entertaining pod. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. So work it, you're worth it. Thank you so much. And who was it? That was our buddy, Joseph Naus. Joseph W. Naus. Thank you so much. There's a Naus in the house, and he's leaving reviews. (laughs) There's a Naus in the house, and he's leaving reviews. That's That's a five-star right right there. You see that? I still got it. I could still make it happen if I have to. Hmm. Um, So thank you so much, Joseph. Um, I would love to get you back on the show, man, just to catch up. Yeah. Um, One of these days. Uh, He's been doing some golfing, some really... He's been doing some strength training. To improve the swing. Yeah, and I don't know anything about golf, but I watch his swing, and I feel like I'm learning Well, something. the ball goes straight, and it goes far, which I think is the goal. I think so. Um, <laughs> it's interesting, though. He's, he's had to go back and start working on his short game because... Because he's uh, tall. Well, because when you do all that strength training for the long game, and then you sort of, you know, to get distance, you... Uh, you lose accuracy, probably. I don't know, something like that. I don't know but anything good about Good luck golf. with the... Getting that short game back back together, Joseph. I just I wish I could go play golf now, but it's six inches of snow on the ground and uh, yeah. I'll try and play golf with you one of these days. Oh, we, we can should. go to a pitch and putt. Ooh, mm, ooh, I have no. a golf story. Um, so I met a guy who's a golf instructor. He bought this slat wall off of my uh, store walls. Really, Sonny, nice guy. I'll talk about it during the show. Can he uh, give us golf lessons? Yeah, that's what he does. Then he we, like. So then, before we go and play golf, we should. We should definitely, that's Patreon content right there. And he owns a comic book store website that's like really apparently very busy. Wild. Uh, So yeah, very interesting. So uh, now it's time for Monsters Speak. What did they been up to? Let's take a peek. The segment we call Monsters Speak. Favorite song. I don't know how I feel about that. Well, we're now in the studio where we have like guitars and amps and snakes and like everything you need for rock and roll. That's right. Right? That's right. Just uh, not the sex, the drugs. No sex, (laughs) no drugs, just rock and roll, baby. Okay. Oh, so uh, I I threw out a question today because we've been studiously ignoring the show all week. (laughs) We've both been insanely busy this week. So I figured we should have something to talk about. So I I put this up on the Facebook group uh, a little while ago. Mm. A few hours ago. Hey guys, given the week that Nat has had with all the life changes and new beginnings, it got me thinking about how we handle major life events and or traumas. I'm not sure which you had this week. You make it sound like both, maybe. You make it sound like menopause. (laughs) And still maintain. I am getting hot. I'm getting a hot flash. I had to take off my sweatshirt. I'm feeling more comfortable. I just wanted to report that. Okay. I'm getting I'm getting adjusted here. Anyway, yep. it got me thinking about how we handle major life events and or traumas and still maintain our equilibrium 
I knew I was going to not be able to say that word. Mm. And sobriety. We talked about this at the meeting last week to some degree, but I'm wondering whether anyone would share their thoughts for inclusion in this week's episode. Thanks all. That was you. That was me. And um, I'm taking off my top. Very <laughs> Maggie Faith says, in the past, I think that not having boundaries and trying to please everyone while I make a transition would lead to drinking or some other form of numbing. When I have transitioned from one thing to the next, like switching jobs, there is usually someone who is disappointed in my actions. I haven't been able to cope with the feeling of disappointing people until very recently. Good luck, Nat. Disappointing people. You know what? I know. I I I'm always disappointing people. That's how I feel. I just figure I, I'm I'm with Maggie. Like you're going to disappoint somebody just by living, you know, just by existing. People are disappointed in some sometimes, and you can't you can't think about that shit. I know, but for a codependent people pleaser like myself, this is very difficult. Because yeah, no, you, I I agree, but you really have to you have to get make that space between you and what you think about what other people think of you. Or yeah. else you're just going to wallow in it. And part of that is accepting yourself. You yeah. know, like if I don't accept, you know, myself and my own successes and happiness, I'm going to be insecure about what other people think because that's where I'm getting my validation. Exactly. Right? Like for me, it all comes down to washboard abs. I'll tell you. <laughs> I, I realized at this point in my life that I'm never going to have them, that the, the genetics are just not there for them. And it used to really drive me crazy that I was always carrying around this spare tire. Um, washboard abs. And then I said to myself recently, like within the last few years, you know what? I give up. I give up. <laughs> I'm throwing in the towel. I was Pass never, me that rib. I never <laughs> got that chicken wing. That's impossible. I tried to get like a six pack and um, I starved myself forever. And I did lose weight, but I think the uh, the six pack might be genetic or chemical. If yeah. you're, it's if such a right. shallow society that it we is. live in, isn't it? Everyone's judged by the you know what they look like. It's very hard for for people who are, you know, not of that cut that way. Well, it's know? funny that you mentioned that. I was listening to Joe Schrank on his podcast, Rehab Confidential. I thought you were going to say Joe Rogan. Yeah, no, I was <laughs> not listening to Joe Rogan, but they had a, um, they occasionally talk about uh, eating disorders. And um, yes. Joe always talks about how he's overweight. And uh, Amy always talks about that she's recovering from a, an eating disorder and how she's also skinny. And they were talking about how, like, especially in LA, like, being skinny is a measure of, it's like the highest measure of acceptability. What a horrible place. You know, and um, <laughs> he was saying that he loves to go to, I think it was Wisconsin because- Yeah, you can eat all the cheese you want, lay around on the couch yeah, all day. You're one of them. They yeah. love you. Yeah. Um, and um, the other thing that Amy actually mentioned that uh, rang true with me is uh, skinny shaming. I don't know if you've experienced this when you lost weight- People in your family, you're too thin. Oh yeah, I get my, that my mother used time. to tell me, and she was always one for the for the compliment uh, that I look like I was a Holocaust victim. That was her thing. Like you know what? Maybe just don't make um, comments about people's weight. On the other hand, though, when I was fat for all those years, it was a constant litany of "you're too fat." Why didn't you lose weight? So then, as soon as I lost weight, it was a constant litany. So I realized, you know, years ago that she was just looking for anything, you know, to to yeah. pick on me for because she's a malignant narcissist. And yeah. My dad <laughs> yeah. is the same way. I, I don't, is your dad a narcissist? Well, I, don't I don't know, know about narcissist. I don't want to call him out on that no, one, but uh, seems he, like a nice fellow. He's is a very nice fellow, but he has always called out my weight, no matter which way. It really? Was. Because you always are like the, de- the definition of, of moderate weight. Moderate. Well, that's what I thought. I've been You're like perfectly proportioned, but he'll say, Hey, um, so what do you weigh now? 
And I'll be like, I don't know, Pop. It's a like, weird question. Th- like, it's weird. He's got a, an interesting. <laughs> like, hey, Matt, how you been? How's the family? Yeah. What, what's your? How, how many pounds you when I carrying muscled, around? When I muscled up a little bit um, about six months ago, he was almost satisfied with my uh, oh. my weight, but still, he was kind of like, oh, maybe you're too heavy now, you know. <laughs> so I give up. <laughs> I give up. Um, eight baller Ab uh, also says, "Did we read this one? No." Uh, my wife is pregnant, and we have our first scan on Monday. We've had two miscarriages in the last 18 months, so we're naturally worried. Yeah, shit. Uh, since I stopped drinking, my general anxiety has improved, and I just remind myself how shit, uh, how shit it did get when I was drinking. He's British, so yeah, that's to a, think about it in the British. It yeah. Right. I tell myself it will only make a situation worse. More positively, in terms of having another child, I can't wait as I'll be sober and clear-headed for it. Yeah. Um, I commend you, Rob. Um, I wish, 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 wish I could go do it again with both of my kids because... Do what again? Just have, to, to be sober instead you have two of... two more. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, that's not happening. But um, I, I missed a lot, you know. Yeah. And, um, and that's great that he gets another chance, hopefully, uh, to do that. So way to go, Rob. Uh, Melissa says, uh, Melissa M <clears throat> says, I have not had any major events or trauma since I quit drinking in June, but from what I understand, that just means they're on the way. Now that's a glass half, half full way to look at it, but you know, it is life and life happens. So. Glass half full. She said traumas are on the way. Yeah, I was being sarcastic. Oh, (laughs) my first line of defense, aside from doing all the mental work, is simply to not have it in the house. Uh, If I have to physically go somewhere to get it, make up a story, wait until someone else has the kids, it's just not going to happen. Or at least by the time I've gotten as far as the store, hopefully I've changed my mind. Mm. Yeah. Oh, we have a very special announcement from the Inner Sanctum. Uh, One of our monsters, did we already say this? No. I am so out of it, guys. I apologize in advance for my brain not being working. But um, aside from that, we have a very special one-year anniversary. Uh, it's uh, Elizabeth from Boston is celebrating one year alcohol-free. Yeah. Um, is this Liz B. from uh, Patreon, or is this a different Elizabeth? I'm pretty sure this is, um, this is Liz B. She just announced it on Patreon. Yeah, from Boston. Yes, yes. and um, man, you are such uh, an inspiration. Thank uh, you. Oh, you mean Elizabeth? And yeah. Elizabeth, you know. <laughs> Sorry. Being a septuagenarian, and uh, it's she only just just got sober in her seventies. Yeah. And so if she can do it, and guess what? She's not just doing it; she's doing it with style. Mm-hmm. She's doing it right, and she's making herself happy by you know living a life that she could have easily said i'm too you know i'm too old to do this i've heard many people in their 50s even say that which is nuts it's true so you think you can't do it because you're however old look at elizabeth from boston she is doing it and doing it well so congratulations doing it and doing it and doing, doing it well, well. Doing it. um so uh yeah Congrats, Elizabeth. That's fantastic. Yep. I mean, I can't even imagine it was. I remember thinking when I quit, like a couple of years ago at fifty, whatever, uh, that I was. It was almost too late for me, <laughs> which is absurd when you think about it. Yeah, it's just something you tell yourself to like keep kicking the can down the road. Right, right. It's like it's literally never too late. You know, some people would say, um, "Yeah, I'm not going to live much longer." So my retort is, then why not live your life to the fullest if that's even true? 
Um, yeah. Be happy. Be happy. Just going back to Melissa's comment, like uh, I think it's great that she's that even though everything is going good right now, she's got her sights or her awareness on the fact that life is not always rainbows and unicorns, you know, and that things can come around and knock you off center. And it's good if you have yourself in a space where, you know, you're prepared for that, you know? Yeah, that was one of those things that I began to realize, like for so long, uh, what did I say? It takes me, it took me nine or 10 years to get my first year, which I learned um, in Evan Haynes's book is actually average. And that was one of our dogs. <laughs> and um, so I was fighting this battle. That's average, really? That's what Evan Haynes says in his mm. book, according to research, whatever that research is, which oh. is a footnote. Um, so uh, I was fighting this one demon for so long. You know, my goal, my goal, my goal is get clean, right. get sober. And that was the thing I was shooting for. And when I finally did it, um, I thought everything should just be hunky-dory fine. And what it really did was it allowed me to participate in normal life. Mm-hmm. And, and that comes with all kinds of things. You guys out there know that. Like, life happens. It's all about, you know, being present. And, uh, and if, you're, if you're sober, or for myself, when I'm sober, I can enjoy the, the highs, the natural highs, and, and the fun a lot more than if I'm, you know, tripping from, uh, you know, drink to drunk. Right. Um, when everything is just a shade of gray and yeah. nothing makes you happy and everything makes you sad. So it's so important that we learn to use our recovery tools when things like that happen. Because, um, I mean, I've been talking about this a lot just to people, you know, uh, about recovery. And um, it's all about the tools. Like if the only tool mm-hmm. you have to soothe yourself is I have a drink. Or if the only thing you give yourself when you want to celebrate is I give myself a drink. Like, right. What we do or try to do is replace those soothing mechanisms with things that are actually, you know, fun, helpful, and healthy. So yeah, that's a lot of recovery. It's not like your life is going to be perfect or easy. No, certainly not. Certainly not. In uh, fact, you know, Elizabeth J. also responded to our my question. And so this is sort of germane to what we're talking about. Who's germane? Uh, one of the Jacksons. I'm not. <laughs> anyway, uh, she says, I'm in the midst of one of life's high stress events, and this thought has been in front of my mind for me. We are attempting to buy a home in the craziest market we've seen in years. Uh, I've noticed that while my mind is clearer, my emotions are still so big and feel bottomless, for lack of a better word. I think I've made so many big decisions in the past, numb, and this one feels so big in comparison. I'm not through it all yet, so trying to take things one step at a time, but that's proving difficult too. Um, yeah, so more muscle to build here. True. Uh, but again, that awareness though, that awareness that, you know, that's huge, you know, uh, and that's one of the first things I started to, to get, you know, before I was even lastingly, uh, sober, I became aware that, okay, this is one of those times, you know, that I would use, or this is, you know, a danger time. That's what I did with the pandemic. Once the pandemic hit, I got ready and mm-hmm. I was like, okay, this is when everybody's supposed to relapse. This is when yes. everybody, this is it, you know, all hands on deck. And I just threw down. It's like the Boy um, Scouts motto. Be, be prepared. prepared. We are nerds. The shit comes and it comes fast and it comes furious. Does it come hard? 
You started it. Jesus. I, you finished You're it. You're a <laughs> Okay. Okay. And, um, uh, and you had one also. I did have one. Yeah. And uh, the last one, there's two on here. Oh. Uh, and so this one was from, uh, oh, the Maggie. I read that one. Okay. Maggie yeah. F. Wait. And, yeah, yeah. Okay. And this one is, where is it? Um, okay. And this is from Hope DB. She says, uh, I do better in the moment, whether it's a personal event or one at the hospital. It's uh, afterwards when I spend too much time in my own head that in earlier days, a trip to the package store would have been in order. Mm. I, I read that and I don't understand it. My brain is just like on autopilot. I think uh, what she's saying is that she's more successfully coping with things now and that that before she would have gone to the package store and picked up booze to deal with it, but now she's not. Right, and that's great. Did I get that right? I think so, and uh, <laughs> thank you, Hope, for that, and um, my apologies for being so out of it here. Um, yeah, uh, but this is what this is all about. And, you know, uh, moving on to our, uh, the life update. Hey, uh, Nat, did yeah. anything happen this week in your life? <sighs> yes, and guys, you know, I've been talking about this. I feel like I should stand up, you know. I'm like... Just I, don't hit your head on the no, ceiling. I'm low going over to. Um, I've been talking about this for uh, weeks and weeks, and even before that, I've alluded to the fact that uh, I knew that this um, my little sports store was not going to make it. Mm-hmm. Um, I started it from scratch about four years ago. It was a crazy idea, and um, eh, I'm thinking of it like a recovery job right now because when I did start this thing, I was working as a paralegal after getting, uh, I lost my marketing, chief marketing officer job to go to rehab. And when I came out, I could have gone back and instead I went to work in my parents' law office, which I've talked about, working uh, as a paralegal. And during that time is when I hatched this plan. I, I just got this like lightning bolt, like I got to do this. You know, the sports store would be perfect in our town. It'll be great. I can be the small town like store guy who, you know, hands out gum and is friendly and knows everybody's name and strangers come in and I point them in the right direction, that sort of thing. And and I, I was able to do that. And it was a little bit of a dream of mine to be that friendly shopkeep in my own hometown. Yeah. And uh and I did it and I put a mark on on the town, you know, and uh, I was there long enough so that the little kids who I first met when I opened and helped them get their first cleats and things, you know, when I was moving out, uh, they were like grown up kid, like kids, you know. So yeah. I got to see, uh, I got to make an impact on a lot of people. Like you're a school teacher, almost like seeing the kids right. develop and grow over the years in their sporting ways. It, it was, and not only that. I, I got to know a lot of my neighbors who became my customers who I wouldn't have known otherwise because mm. I'm such an introvert. Um, and uh, I met a lot of great friends. Not only that, um, I got to help people because I had several customers who followed me there from my uh, outpatient uh, facility that I was at. And uh, some guys would come in. There's John the Can Man, mm-hmm. uh, who now I've got to keep up with. And I basically became his recovery partner or his therapist even. Uh, and my good friend, Bill, who we've got to get on the show, he used to come in and we would just talk, you know, talk, talk, talk. Right. Um, but the downside was it's because I didn't have enough business. And um, 
finally making this decision to close this thing was the hardest thing I've had to do in recovery. And, um, and I did it and I was finally able to do it, but man, this was not easy. Uh, so I don't even know where to start. It was, it was just crazy. Um, I guess I'll begin. Do you want to like, where, where would I even begin with this moving out? Moving out was crazy. Well, the moving out day, I, I, um, I spoke to Danny uh, the other day, and right. he said he came by Scuba Danny. Yeah, when um, when you were you know getting your stuff together, and he said you looked a little forlorn, like you you really didn't know what to do with yourself, like yeah. um, because you know there was a lot a lot to do, and you seemed like you were a bit out of sorts, and uh, you know he mentioned uh, you know kind of nudging you in the direction of the U-Haul, <laughs> you know, but uh, you know, yeah. I'm trying to even remember. It's such a blur. Of course, I remember Danny coming, and uh, thank God for that. You know, it's just one of these things. You know, once I had the um, crazy going out of business sale, mm. um, I was just getting tons of customers. Only how did in the that last make five- you feel that people who came in who like wouldn't come in and buy, pay retail, but now that it's sixty percent off, they're like they, they want to sit down and talk to you. That must have been difficult. No? It, it was difficult, um, and there was a like I had I, mixed emotions, mixed feelings is the best way to describe this because I was very sad uh, that this is the way it went. I'm sad for the world because little stores like this, and, and there's no other reason that this shop shouldn't succeed uh, except for the fact that uh, there's this pandemic there's amazon and Mm. there's only one of me um you know and it's just not the world we live in to have a shop like that and uh, i could have sold tickets to see it like a museum Um, well and a lot of the businesses in our town um struggle like yours struggled um you know people who who make it here are, are you know it's it's I, I can't I don't even understand it. Like you, you have a restaurant like Two Spring, which the only reason they survive is because they charge like a hundred something dollars a head for a tasting menu or yeah. something. You There's know, that and the owners don't need to turn a profit, uh, life or death, every month. And right. that's the kind of store. And unfortunately for me, uh, I didn't have the kind of money personally to just kind of like do the shop as something to do. So there's right. a lot of shops mm-hmm. like that, like um, Steve Israel's bookstore. Yeah. Um, who's a former um, congressman, I think. Yeah. And, uh, and so those stories... But he admitted well. to me straight up yeah. that he did not need to make a profit out of that business. But and look, that's a beautiful thing that he's willing to do that yeah. with his money and it adds a lot to the town, but I'm just not that guy. Right. And, I uh, mean, you know, you have to make a living here. I wanted this to be something that uh, I could pass on to my children and I've met so many great people, um, but... Yeah, you did an amazing job. I mean, you were the most personable person in this town. You walk in, there's always a, a smile, always a, you know, you're always interested in people's lives. I mean, the town is a lot poorer for you, for you not being around to do it. Yeah, and I'm a lot poorer. Actually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, um, but, I mean, you know, you landed on your feet, right? Yeah, I did. I did. And uh, I don't know if, I don't need to talk about this the whole show. There's just so much, you know, but um, the good news is we made our podcast there. And we yes. had a home there, and it was great. But that should give you guys an idea. If I was able to close our shop to record a podcast, <laughs> like clearly there's not enough business. Um, I met some great people, and um, one of the people I met um, got me a job. Uh, and so on top of everything else, and I moved this whole place 
you know, my wife helped me, um, and my son helped me, uh, and, uh, you know, just moving things. But like at the end of two days when, uh, it was U-Haul time Mm -hmm. and we uh, posted some pictures of the U-Haul where, uh, Mike was able to (laughs) come and give me a lift. I was so shot, so shot by the end of that. Yeah. You were like the walking dead. I was a zombie thing going on because guess what? The rest of my life still keeps going. Yeah. You know, even though I'm doing all this on top of everything, I had this very exciting opportunity, uh, this job. It started the next day. And so I had to get up and go do it. Why didn't you give yourself a cushion? I'm I'm curious about that because they needed me like yesterday. Yeah. You know, because um, it's turning out that this company needs a manager, like needs someone to step in and make it all better. Do you think... Do you think that the fact that you just went back to back like and not didn't give yourself any any extra time in between during the transition that um that that was a better approach for your sobriety like do you like during the whole course of the closing and the final sales and the moving did you ever consider like drinking or using drugs That's a great question <clears throat> The answer is no Um, the only time I did think about it was when I realized I wasn't thinking about it, Mm. you know, and, um, and I think I was, I was talking to uh, Dave from Dopey about it. And I said, you know, the most amazing thing is that I haven't thought about using or drinking except right now when I'm talking about (laughs) not using or drinking, you know, and, um, maybe this is uh, a defense mechanism where I just like a shark, I have to keep moving or I will die. And I will, I don't know. I'd like to think that my sobriety is in good enough shape that, um, that I could have taken a week, but the, um, the company was really in dire straits, um, management wise. They really needed somebody in there to help turn this thing around. And it's exciting because I used to be in positions like this, uh, CEO, you know, director of operations, vice president, all of that stuff. I have, a resume full of jobs like that. And, um, and so in that sense, uh, the, the store was a bit of a departure from that entire world. Mm. So getting back into it, it, it makes sense for me uh, in a lot of ways. And it's exciting. It's a great opportunity. But back to back. And I'm just, I'm tired, man. I, you, should, you should take a well-deserved weekend of rest. Or I should watch the kids while my wife goes to Atlantic City. <laughs> Would that be better? How about that? Yeah. And I'm but, so glad she has got a great trip coming. Every year she goes to a trip with her buddies from high school, and I think it's great for her. No, that is good. And hey, she, timing is whatever, whatever it is. You know, you, you can't control these things sometimes. But I but I think it speaks volumes, Nat, that you, like, are you, at the point in your sobriety now where, like, you know, under all the pressure you are under, under all the stress, under, you know, with all the other stuff going on, with the, you know, the, the, the feelings that you have about ending the business and starting another job, like, it didn't occur to you that the answer to any of your troubles was to pick up a drink or use drugs. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. You know, think of the gnat of five years ago. I would have gone straight for it. It right. would have been the first thing. It would have been my excuse. It would have been what I would think about. Right. And, um, yeah. So it, what do you, what do you attribute that to? Is it, is it all the work we do with the podcast? Is it, is it just, there's enough distance from, from the last time? Is it that you've done some internal work that you've started to understand the coping I, mechanisms? 
I think that you were you were using for me, and and this isn't for everybody, but for me, I have been able to completely reprogram myself to not view using or drinking as a reward, as a reward. Yes, right. <laughs> but like, I wanted to do that. For my a while. brain doesn't even subconscious like you can tell yourself forever. Right. I don't want this. I don't need this. But until I got to a point where even my subconscious isn't craving mm-hmm. a drink to relax, it isn't craving, you know, um, to get hot. Like, and that's so your spiritual awakening. Right. Right. It, it doesn't even occur to me. Everything is different. Your, your entire way that you deal with stress and problems has changed. Yeah. And that's, a, that's an enormous victory. But what think? is it that I do now? I, I was just thinking like, okay, well then what are my current tools? And I, I couldn't identify one immediately, but I listen to podcasts. I make a podcast. I read recovery books. I talk to you. I talk to, I mean, that's all huge. And, and I mean, you keep busy. That's yeah. one of your tools, you know? Certainly. Um, I and mean, you, I mean, you can't keep that up ad infinitum. Right. Right. But eventually when things settle down at the new job, you can think about where to slot in your, your physical activity, where to slot in your meditative activity. Yeah, it's a work in progress. And the last thing I'm going to say about my job and the closing of the store is what's really exciting is I'm in a position at this company, which is a pretty big company. There's six different offices, and I'm basically in charge of really? all of that the... That is big. Yeah, they, they have a lot of offices. I'm in the main office, but this gives me an opportunity to really talk to people and be that kind of, you know... Um, nice person that listens, who's in charge, but mm-hmm. I'm a human being. That's why I, they were calling it human resources. But now that I've started... <laughs> now they have a real human in there. It's uh, yeah, <laughs> putting a human face on management. Um, but like I even had a great opportunity to use some of what I've learned about um, social work and just therapy and talking to people. There was a disgruntled employee who had some trouble with the current CEO And I came in and I just, you know, she was very resistant when I started to say like, hey, what would you say you do here? You know, uh, (laughs) do you do anything here? (laughs) I had to interview all the, all the people and see who's does what so I can figure out where I can staff up and where we need to cut. You know, I leave that part out and she was very resistant and I didn't react poorly. I just said, oh, okay. I said, I'm going to come back. We can maybe talk later. Okay. You know, don't worry about it. 20 minutes later, she came in and she apologized. She's mm. like 22 years old. A lot of these are younger people, oh younger professionals God. that I'm managing. How, uh, and how do you she, deal with that? Well, this is how I deal with it. You know, when she has a little whatever, I walk away and she came in and apologized. She said, listen, I'm having a bad day. Sometimes that's how I react. And I said, great. I said, listen, you know, and I had a nice talk with her and I just listened to her. I, I mm-hmm. said, you know, what, what is it about this place that, that you would want to change or, you know, tell me how has it been going, you know? And I just let her talk and I just shook my head. And by the end of it, it she was a whole different person. And, and I said something like, you know, we have to believe that this can get better and we can do it together. And that's what I'm here for, you know? Wow. And I feel like, I said, I'm here for you to make things better for you and everybody else here, you know? And that's it. And then, you know, it gave me an opportunity to like, please somebody, you know? Yes. But in a meaningful way. And, right. And hopefully, maybe I can do this. Maybe I can make people's work life more fulfilling. I don't know. I'm bringing bagels and donuts tomorrow. <laughs> well, that goes so, a long way. 
So uh, bagels and donuts. I know. Yeah. I got so m- more smiles today by like there's a couple employees that have been super cold to me. Uh-huh. And on my way out, I was like, "Hey, uh, what kind of bagels do you like?" And they're like, "What?" And that then I got a smile. Yeah. You know, and I'm writing down like, "All right, I got you." My my company has a bagel day. Uh, well, they used to when we were all in the office once once a month. Uh, it's like the third Friday of the month is Bagel Day, and they bring in all these bagels, and uh, it's great. It's great. It's actually listed as one of our benefits in our uh, benefits package. No bagel Day, yes. Um, we we <laughs> there is a bit of cynicism amongst the old timers about Bagel Day, but you know people love that. We still stuff. take our bagels. You take your you know, bagels. You take the bagels with a schmear. And interestingly enough. Uh, when I mentioned it to the CEO, I said, oh, I'm thinking about bringing bagels in tomorrow. It, she was like, um, oh, we used to do that, you know? Uh-huh. And so I feel like I'm trying to, you know, I'm going into a, like a, a traumatized family, it feels like sometimes. You're you like know? a company therapist. I, yeah, a little bit, you know, <laughs> but I also have to perform. So, uh, right. But very exciting. And everybody, thank you for uh, all of the well wishing and the support. I know I haven't been as uh, responsive on um, social media, um, but that will change. You're entitled to your chill out time, to your transition time. Chill out. Don't worry about it. Chill out. You got to be chill. And all right, that's all I'm going to say about that. But you have also had a tumultuous, exciting yeah, uh, sort kind of. of. By the way, happy Groundhog Day. Yes, thank we you got, so much. Uh, we got another six months, uh, six weeks of winter, six months, fuck. Oh. Six weeks of winter, according to according to Puxatawney Phil, which brings me to the movie Groundhog Day. Have you ever seen it? I have. Bill Murray. Bill Murray's a genius, and they completely yes. coined this term out of nowhere. Andy that McDowell. Always, it amazed me that they just from that movie, people say Groundhog's Day, and it means... You know, over and over again. It occurred to me that uh, while watching it last night is is my annual tradition. Um, oh, you do that? Aaron and I watch it on Groundhog Day, and uh, that it is actually a Buddhist allegory. Did you Did you know this? No. Well, think about it. Um, a cynical, uh, self absorbed egomaniac uh, comes to a town that he loathes. Mm-hmm. Right, and the town is sort of like a stand-in for the world. Okay, every night he goes to sleep, which symbolizes death. Every day he awakens again with a brand new chance to, to do everything again. Sort of like the concept of the Buddhist rebirth mm-hmm. after birth after birth. And the only way to break the cycle of birth and death is to become a compassionate person and find love. And once he does that, he's freed. And he reaches the highest state of nirvana. Huh. Is that the same thing with Quantum Leap, where Scott Bakula is constantly <laughs> trying to, like, which leap will be the, the leap home? And he's like, Ziggy says, you have to fall in love. Oh. I, you know? That could be that, too. I think that's brilliant. I doubt the writers had that in mind. But. I don't know if they did or they didn't, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to Google it. I didn't want to Google it before the show, because then I would feel like it was uh, a fake it was, thing. Yeah, but and, anyway, it occurred to me when I was watching it yesterday. and, and um, Bill Murray's... Brilliant. He, he's brilliant. I have a Bill Murray story. I'll tell it another time. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, so anyway, yeah, that was Groundhog Day. But uh, I just my favorite part of that was you have a tradition with your wife that you watch that movie every year. I, like, I didn't, well, how could you not? It's, I, it's such a great. It's, I, it's like I watch we'll Elf it. every year. You know, yeah, well, it's, it's the same same kind of deal. I, I mean, I Groundhog happy. Day is perhaps not as uh, as highly thought of a holiday as Christmas, but maybe it should you know, be. It has its own movie. We should bring it. Right? Back. It's true. It does. I mean, you know. <laughs> 
you know Annie McDowell is 68, though? I just saw her in a show that was critically acclaimed called really? uh, The Maid, maybe. Oh, is she in that? Uh, she's the mother, if I'm thinking of the correct movie. Yes, it is. Huh. Because uh, she doesn't dye her hair. She's got, you know, silver hair, but it's Annie McDowell. Wow. And uh, she's beautiful. I yeah, mean, I never I was looking at her last night thinking, man, I don't remember yeah. like in the 80s thinking, wow, Annie McDowell's so hot. I like but, the silver hair. I think uh, it looks great on women. Yeah. You know, don't dye your hair, ladies. Yeah, Nat says don't dye your don't hair. Don't do it. My mom never did. Um what did I do this week? I, I, set, I set a boundary at work. You did? I did. Boundaries are so important. They are important. How did you do it? I'll tell you. Okay. Uh, I was asked, I got a weird request from my boss to go to this conference in Florida and do a presentation. And I'm already going to two other places for work in the month of March. Um, and this would have been the third. And it's a few days after we come back from our own trip to Florida. Mm. And I got on the phone with him and, and he was explaining what it entailed. And, and I was very hesitant. And I said, listen, give me a, a day. I want to think about this. Right. And he's like, it's fu- If you don't want to do it, it's okay. I understand. But when a boss says that to you, right. They want you to do it. You're like, yeah. So yeah. like how many times have I said no? I've gotten a request like that a lot over the last 15 years I've been with this company. And you always say and yes. I always say yes. This time I called, I, well, I sent him an email because I'm chicken shit, but, right. uh, and I said no. And I said, um, I said, I'm already going somewhere twice. I haven't traveled in two years. I don't, I don't want to be away from home three weeks in a row. Uh, and you know, and he came back with, you know, it's, it's perfectly fine. No, no worries. And I, and he's sincere. I mean, I know I've known this guy my entire career, you know, he, and it, he ended up telling me a day later that it was actually a much more involved thing than even he knew because, um, our CEO was going to be there. All these people were going to be there. Wow. Who It was like a thousand people I'd be speaking to. So he was cool about it. He was cool about it. And in fact, I think he was relieved that I said no because otherwise I would have had to vet this thing through six layers of management. I would have had to do. I would have had to go to the office and perform it in front of people before yeah. I could do it. So I saved myself a lot of anxiety and I saved him a lot of anxiety by saying no. And he was, it, probably respects you more. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we have a very good relationship. It's mm-hmm. more like a friend relationship than a than a, a boss employee relationship. But I had never really done that before. I, I tend to, if someone asks me to do something at work, I just say yes. Or I don't even say anything. I just do it. I know. And then the I just way. present them with the results. And that's why I, I do very well in my company. But um, if, if the last two years, two and a half years of you know, my sobriety has taught me anything, it's that you know, trying to please other people all the time is a surefire recipe for disaster. Well, that's what I'm doing. And it sucks. Yes, it sucks. So I'm I trying to do it less. <laughs> and I have to work on that. And it's so great that you, you know, and that's progress. You know, maybe you didn't used to do that. And now no, you it, do. It feels like progress to me. And I, and I feel much better about it. Um, I've also noticed, like, when I speak to people from work, like, I'm not nervous anymore. Like, I used to get very nervous, mm. especially like right after I quit drinking, because I felt like almost like the personality that I had had that I was showing to the work people mm-hmm. was you know, it was completely inauthentic, huh. you know, and, and, but now, you know, you take away the alcohol and after, you know, after a few months, you know, your real 
self starts to reemerge and reassert itself and you become more confident yeah. in your abilities. And Absolutely. so I feel like, like I could have gone down there and I could have given the presentation. It would have been a much better presentation than the ones I had given before when I was either half hungover or nervous or, you know, right. still half in the bag from the night before. But, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, I don't know. Well, I just feel much more solid lately. I don't, I don't know how to describe it. It's well, the longer you get, um, and it's not just the sobriety, I think, because I'm going through this yeah, too. Sobriety's part of it. It's, it's, it's doing what we're doing yeah. also. It's all of the talking that you've been doing with people about recovery, um, reaching out. Like We're both becoming more... Um, feeling more confident about our own stories, our own personalities, yeah. and uh, and part and part of that is just talking to more people about things that matter to you. Mm-hmm. And, and the more authentic you are, and then you you say things or you express yourself authentically, and you see that you're not only being accepted about your your views and and who you are, it makes you want to do it more. Yes, you know. And then when it doesn't work out, you're not as crushed as you used to be. Well, yeah. And going back to like the conversation we had last week, it's like my, my inner critic has stopped telling me what an asshole I am. It started telling me what a goofball I am, you know, just to, to borrow something from Paul Churchill, what he put in his book. He said he knew he was making progress in his recovery when his inner critic voice stopped calling him a fucking asshole and started calling him a knucklehead. Absolutely. Yeah. I love bringing it back to last week. Um, <laughs> were, were you talking about that last week? We were. We were. And um, yeah. That's so cool. And, and last week, if you guys don't remember, it was really awesome. We had our first, uh, the big three with SLP. I meant to mention that at the beginning. Oh, yeah. And uh, Yeah, it, Grant was great. Yeah, it was I can't really wait cool. for him to do it again. I promised to do a better job, like lining up the volumes and stuff like that. That was my <laughs> fault, not Grant's. Well, we had technical yeah, difficulties. Yeah. Um, so that's true. The inner critic, and uh, yeah, we had a great discussion about that. Um, so, I, I mean, not only did you have to move everything. Yeah. You had to do it in the middle of a fucking <laughs> blizzard, the aftermath of a blizzard, and it was like 10 degrees outside. I don't know how I neglected to mention <laughs> that, but if you guys can imagine uh, how difficult this was for me to do to begin with, emotionally, physically, everything, we got hit with the blizzard of you know the century. Well, that's an exaggeration, but well, it, my know. last Saturday. Century's not that old. That's true. My last, uh, my last Saturday was supposed to be my big blowout sale. Right. I was home. Which I enjoyed being home, but you know, so we had eighteen inches of snow. Eighteen inches, <laughs> so uh, I had to open. I mean, it would have opened Sunday anyway, but I had to miss the RMA meeting, and uh, I just was selling and mm. selling and selling. And on top of that, there's slat wall on the uh, on the walls of my store, which is if you don't know what that is, Google it. It's it's basically screwed under the walls and it holds up hooks. Mm. And so I had uh, a gentleman named Sonny who. Uh, Came in and he was like a customer and he's like, you want to get rid of that? And I said, yeah, man, it's a lot. So he was in there taking it down. Oh, while, he took it down too? Yeah, I helped him. but So I was helping him take it down while customers were coming uh, in. And so mess. here I am, you know, like, uh, oh, I'm so sorry you're closing. Uh, is this 60% off, you know? And, uh, <laughs> it was just such an emotionally destroying like and physically and yeah. ugh. And then on top of it, we have this snowstorm. So... When I had to move uh, and drive this U-Haul, uh, mm. I have a famously horrible driving record. And um, <laughs> so I'm driving this U-Haul in, you know, newly plowed streets and things like that. It was just another layer of pain. And I used, and I was saying, like, if this isn't a message from the big, the big man upstairs, I don't know what is. 
when we were driving to return the truck, uh, I, I sort of accidentally blew a couple lights and you were behind me in the truck and I watched you sail right through the, the red lights in the intersection. You noticed and, that. Yeah. And I was like, oh shit, I hope we, you know, the last thing we need now is to get pulled over or something. But anyway, I'm yeah. glad that didn't happen. I'm glad, uh, I didn't, I wasn't sure you noticed that, but yeah, I, I blew a couple, I figure I'm in a U-Haul. If I hit uh, one of those red light cameras, uh, it I think it'll be catch my, up to you six months from now. It'll be my car. <laughs> Um, I'm holding the mic stand now. I, I got to find a good uh, setup here for me. I'm not sure. You could take the mic out of the thing if it's too heavy. We don't like to hold the mic because you can hear the hand sound. I mean, you do it, but you know, that's... You can't really hear my hand good sounds. for you, but you know, for <coughs> me... <laughs> Some of us are professionals. Yes, Is that I've what you're always, trying to say? I've always been told never to handle the mic you're talking into. Um, mm. But it's probably just stupid. I'm handling the mic. Handle it. Um, so that was very exciting. Oh, one thing I did want to mention, I got a message from Sergeant Slaughter, everyone's favorite. Um, what, I'm, I'm afraid to say what he does for a living because I feel like, well, do we all know that he's a... He's a cop. He Just leave a, it at that. Right. Yeah. Because last time I said something. In any case, uh, he's kind of been in and out of recovery. Um, I've known him since I'm three years old. And I have, funnily enough, which is an expression I'm hearing from uh, British people lately, uh, I ran into him. At, we don't have that expression in America? Funnily is not a word. Funnily enough. Not a word. But uh, it's an I, expression I, from across the pond. And I've only heard it in the last month it's coming up. And I'm like, what is that? Because I notice things. I could I, swear I've been hearing that expression hello, for years. Funnily enough. Very good. <laughs> Something like that. I don't know, man. That's funnily enough. Uh, write Mike R at middleagesrecovery.com. What one was that? That's funny. It's funny. Um, so he's back on the wagon. Uh, so what does that mean? He's got three days uh, sober today, he says. And he's going to, yes, Sergeant Slaughter. Um, we salute you. Uh, keep it up. He's going to Zoom meetings, he's listening to the show. And um, this show. I don't, yes, Our this show. show. Um, I don't like to give him too much shit about sobriety because... Um, well, that's nice. It's probably well, not... I he, mean, you know... It's not taken well for me because he's... I, you know, well, you shouldn't give shit, anybody shit about no, it. No, right? not shit, but like anything I say about it, it's like he, he doesn't want to... That's because you have a history. Right, right. He says, well, who are you to tell me A anything, prophet is you know? without honor in his own country. That's exactly right. And my outline is like falling apart here. Um, in any case, is that really going to happen? Well, good luck, man. I hope it. I hope yeah. it happens. Sorry, my outline's falling apart. So, good luck, uh, Sergeant Slaughter. Keep us up to date. Um, another monster, uh, Rhina is doing great and um, excellent, excellent, excellent. Yes. And so, keep the updates coming. Um, and um, yeah, we're really proud of you guys. All right. Um, so today, I think we're going to do a very special because <laughs> it's very special because Mike did most of the uh, the legwork this week because I'm totally. I was unable to. And it wasn't that much. Well, I'll tell you, uh, I figured we could do an all-news episode because that would take some of the, the research necessity off of us this week when things are going on, right? I think so, too, but I, I did want to give the best show possible, so... Yeah, we're doing that. Um, it's the best show possible under the circumstances. Right. So, would you like to start <laughs> the uh, main topic after these words? Well, we, do we have to go... Go to the bathroom? <laughs> yes. We'll be right back after these words with Recovery in the News Spectacular. That's a long yeah. toilet flush. You got to fix that toilet. <laughs> you know, I paid for that. Did you? I did. 
we're back. And we're back. Um, yeah, I was thinking, like, there's guitars everywhere in this house. Yeah. It's amazing. And um, I was thinking, like, if we can get me on a night where all of this extra shit isn't driving me nuts at home and yeah. all. Like, I'm, I'm, I thought I would be so relaxed, and now I have all this, there's like a leak in my house, and my wife is stressed out because she's going on a trip, and I don't know. But, I don't think I've ever seen you relaxed. Is that true? Do I not relax? I want to. I'm relax. trying to remember a time when you've been just like mellow and at peace. Anyway, when I did heroin, I was uh, <laughs> not that relaxed. I, was I don't relaxed. need you that that relaxed. So I forgot before we go into the news. I forgot this. Like I, I created a situation for myself today. Uh oh. And uh, I'm not quite sure how to get out of it. So maybe you can mm. maybe you can help me. So I don't know. Uh, I told you about the guy. Um, I've Mitch. mentioned before Mitch, yeah, right. He's the the guy who's the manager at the wine store, the good wine store in town, with the curly hair, beard, yeah, yeah, right. Kind of looks like a big teddy bear, yeah. So I was in buying some groceries at the grocery store next door. Where have you been? Well, and it occurs to me that you and I are going to see that show next Friday night. Remember? Right. Yep. The, okay. So, uh, but I know that he likes like. That kind of music, oh, really? you know. So I stick my head and I go, "Hey, Mitch, um, you know, Martin Barr is playing next week, and such such." And he goes, "Oh, that's interesting. I thought he was playing out in Patchogue." I'm like, "No, no, it's definitely down this place." And he kind of got the impression that I was asking him to go with me. <laughs> the, li- the liquor store manager. I was thinking that too, though. <laughs> when you were saying that, I was imagining that you were inviting. But I was no. I was just. I just wanted to like tell him because we. We tell each other occasionally. Uh. Like, I haven't talked to this guy in like two years, and then recently I started sticking my head in there. And I don't know why I never mentioned this to you, but I started sticking my head in the liquor store talking to Mitch about bands because mm. that's what we always talked about. And he got a terrible case of COVID early on in the pandemic. Oh, yeah. And I think he might have quit drinking. I had this weird vibe off of him. Interesting. Yeah. But so so now I'm like, but so, um, so... He's like, okay, well, um, if you want to go, let me know. And so I go to the car, and I'm like, fuck. I'm like, well, I can just like, not stick my head in there for the next you know, week or so, and then just say, I forgot, whatever. Then he texts me. Oh, no. Because he has my text, because we oh, went, we went to see King Crimson together a so long time. So you're friends with this guy. You've well, been that, to a concert together. Yeah, That's how, you that know. was just a random thing, but, you know... Uh, and so now I'm so I said, listen, I think a friend got me a ticket and you know, but I have to check and all this stuff. So now I've like, I've dug myself into this fucking hole. Are you weaving a web of lies? I'm now? weaving a web Ugh. of deceit, but here's what, you know, what may end up happening is I'm going to say that, that you got me a t- ticket. So then, so, so I can meet him there if he wants to <laughs> hang out, but then you have to pretend that you were the oh, one that got Jesus. the tickets. <laughs> Yep. This is the guy from the wine store I that I used to buy all my wine from. I don't know. Shit. I I shouldn't have stuck my head in there today. I'm going to recommend that you do not go and weave a bunch of big <laughs> lies like this. I mean, but of course, little lies, I will know. cover for you if, if okay. need be. How's right. that? Thank you. But I recommend just doing the passive aggressive thing and avoiding him. Yeah, but I did that for two years when, when I stopped buying wine. I, like, I was in there literally every day and then I just disappeared. Tell him your yeah. wife says you're not allowed to hang out with them. <laughs> <laughs> that won't work because she goes in there. That's where she buys wine occasionally. So anyway. I'd love to hear from the Monksters on this one. Should Mike <laughs> weave a web of lies to get out of hanging out with his old liquor store prog rock buddy? Or 
<laughs> Should he just be honest and avoid him? <laughs> is that honesty or is that avoidance? I don't know. Um, no, I have no good exit. There's no exit strategy that it, that makes me look like a hero here. You know, like Mike R at MiddleAgesRecovery.com yeah. and tell him right. what to do. Okay. So and this is recovery. So just to be clear, it's a little weird tonight. Are we doing it that way? I think we should just be like, this is recovery in the news. And- yeah. <laughs> All right. New studio. I like the acoustics. So I gotta uh, take that down a key. Man. I can't like the falsetto. I'm just not. So there, believe it, it or not, yeah. Matt, there are people that listen every week just to hear that. So if if we <laughs> if we eliminated that from this week, no, we want We would get notes probably. Yeah, notes on a scandal. Right. So, so uh, anyway, I thought that was Grant's news. Music. New. What did I do? You hit Grant's music. No. What did I do? Yeah. Oh, that. Oh. I thought that wasn't going to be Grant's music for because it's I, ridiculous. I like Grant's. Music. Yeah, it's very like eighties uh, news flash. Right. Um, okay. To to be fair, I haven't read these articles. Okay, so uh, I'll I'll just start with the first one. Okay, the first one um, is from <laughs> it's from Fox oh, uh, foxbusinessnews.com, um, and the headline is is dry January hurting bars and alcohol retailers. Business execs chime in. Mm. Now, let me just say that this is the classic example of a reporter having an agenda and deciding that the headline is going to be the story. And then he goes out and tries to find facts to support an entirely unsupportable hypothesis. I see. Now, it's Fox News, so I'm not entirely surprised. Hmm. But um, but if you if you start looking at this at this article, everything the guy cites and support is actually saying the opposite. Hmm. Right. So, um, and, and it's very foxy, right? Because th- some dry January objectors have speculated that the annual health campaign is hurting bars and alcohol retailers. Wah. Yet professionals in the field say there's a host of reasons why some small business owners are struggling. So right in the very first sentence of the article, he, didn't, he basically undercuts his own conclusion from the headline saying, it's really not dry January that's hurting alcohol sales. Well, is this an opinion piece or is he just reporting? Maybe he needs to cover all sides of it or something. Uh, it is Fox, though. Well, so probably not. The 31-day abstinence movement may not have helped the alcohol industry, especially when a morning consult market research report says dry January has grown in popularity from 13% of American adults practicing it in 2021 to a projected 19% for 2022. First off... How do you get that figure? Thirteen percent of American adults are participating in Dry January. How? That's like a lot. That's like millions and millions of people. Yeah, that doesn't sound do you, accurate. And nineteen percent. So one out of five Americans really? who has previously been drinking wow. has decided to eschew alcohol for the month of January. Maybe one out of five. It's good news. I mean, if it's true, it's bullshit. <laughs> well, I have to say though. During this dry January, we talked about this on the show. I'm seeing it everywhere. It, it, it was is Rachel everywhere. Ray, it was this one and that one, and uh, I saw more than one like 
coverage. That's not a word. More than one show is covering like, oh, here's some great mocktails. Like they were doing a bunch of stuff. So maybe we maybe, ru- we maybe it is one people. in five. It's a lot of people. I don't know. Uh, so anyway, um, the COVID. 19 pandemic and seasonal trends are larger factors that are likely responsible for declining alcohol sales. You think? Actually, no, didn't uh, there should be higher alcohol sales because of COVID. Isn't that what happened? I missed something. It's an extremely nonsensical article, yeah. but I, I do like that they interviewed Pat Light, who is the founder and president of the Light Restaurant Group, which includes the Green Rock Bar and I don't know if you've ever been there, but I have. Really? McSwiggin's Pub in Hoboken, <laughs> New Jersey. Um, they told Fox Business that January hasn't been the best, best month for bars prior and amid pandemic. Mm. So it does sort of make sense that people who spend the Christmas holidays getting shit-faced um, decide to sort of pull back in January. Well, a January in general for business is a slow month. I mean, every business I've ever owned or worked for, right. plan unless it's some January specific thing. <laughs> no well, way. they cite uh, New Year's health resolutions, people slowing their spending after the holidays, yeah. and now ongoing concerns related to the pandemic. Um, and then they do very Foxian thing. Like the biggest issue facing bars and restaurants right now is COVID-19 restrictions. Uh, we've seen a large uptick in people coming across the Hudson River to Hoboken because New Jersey does not require proof of vaccinations. Um, so, I don't know. I, January, I, there's a stat in here that really uh, sort of put my eyebrows up. It said something like, um, oh yeah, here it is. Um, a media representative for Restaurant 365, which is a, um, I guess, a, an industry group, mm. told Fox that liquor sales at restaurants across the country are down an average of 143% from December to January. Um, well, maybe this is a reaction to all of like, because But that's like the normal amount that they're down. They're normally down that much? Mm-hmm. Interesting. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, I heard that everybody was drinking more during the pandemic. Not only that, they 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 added, and thank God this wasn't a thing when I was when I was really drinking when I was active, and I lost my uh, my license. Mm-hmm. I would have given anything to be able to order liquor on Uber Eats. Yeah, right. And you can, can do that. I now. know people will bring booze to your house. It's sort of like a drug delivery service. I want exactly to, what it is. I walked to the supermarket one time from my house, which is not close. Uphill both ways, and one five t- miles. And one time, I actually. How did I get an Uber driver to go grab me a six pack? I did it though <laughs> because I was trapped at home. I didn't have, a, I don't have a car, any way to go anywhere, and I, I like ordered an Uber, but I wasn't going anywhere. And I just kind of <laughs> messaged her, "Could you please stop and pick up a six pack at Seven Eleven?" And she actually did it this one time. Right. But now, uh, when you order Uber Eats, it gives you like a little uh, alert. Oh, do you want them to get something at Seven Eleven? Yes. Uh, so all of that stuff. Thank God it would have made it. Uh, would have made it much. Worse. Yeah, uh, they say um, uh, January is typically the quieter month after mm-hmm. a hectic December. Right. Um, so, so, so yeah. the, I just took exception to the fact that there's this headline plastered up on, on Fox Business News that's essentially blaming dry January for an incre- a decrease in alcohol sales as if dry January is some threat to the wow. mom and pop bar owners. Yeah. But, but then, like... That's fucked up. <laughs> it is, right? <laughs> but then in the body of the story, they, they give no evidence to support that. And in fact, copious amounts of evidence to support the exact opposite conclusion. 
Yeah, they're they're very. So much, what's up with that? Well, it's an agenda that they have. They why do they? Why is this? Is there an agenda to subvert Dry January? <laughs> I don't understand. Well, be, the reason I think is because they're always pretending at Fox News to be like the champion of small business and anti-regulation and anti-people. But this is a consumer choice being, issue. Well, no. Uh, let me spin it to you like a foxy. Okay. okay? Here's how the fox. Because my brother's a foxy, and uh, he would say. <clears throat> Really, what this is, uh, Dry January is perpetrated by the media. <laughs> so the Because think about it. Remember when I said all of those shows, Rachel, mm-hmm. whoever else? That's the media. So because of this media push, it's coming from the far left, of course, because the media, unless it's Fox, is the far left. And they're trying to destroy small business. They're trying to take away your choice. They want government to... Uh, that's very well done. That's, that's well. That's <laughs> what they say, right? I mean, that is the um, that is the line of logic. And so, no. here's another opportunity for them to castigate the media as this thing in the sky that's so scary. I mean, and, and evil. You, we can debate the legitimacy of the media, you know, for hours, but I, I don't see. They're against small business, and that's what dry January is. Instead of going like, mm, maybe it's great, you know, that nobody's drinking. Maybe the the liquor business isn't something we ought to be trying to protect so hard. Yeah, why aren't we? Why aren't we supporting that? Because Fox certainly comes comes out hard against like the pharmaceutical industry, and they come out hard against a bunch of other industries. Like, uh, well, look at their advertisers. Yeah, who advertises on Fox? Well, I mean, but booze. Past Blue Ribbon, but perhaps I mean, I mean booze, Moonshine. Booze companies advertise on CNN just as much as they advertise on Fox. Well, you know? CNN's no saint either, but I mean, what do they say? See, if we were really good, we would have a comparison article uh, from CNN. We're not that good. No, um, I think that's an editorial decision that they're looking for. Well, I mean, they, I like how they we, they weave things. in the whole like pandemic yeah. restrictions. You know, it's like they're hitting all the. Right. The high points. That's that. the other but, side. That's the problem is it's like, box. you know, I don't care if you're a conservative, you identify as a conservative or a liberal or whatever. I mean, there, there should be no argument that drinking less alcohol is a, is a positive step in the right direction for your health. I don't care what side of the political spectrum you're on. Let me devil's advocate you for a second. Mm. Um, it's my choice. To yes. drink or not drink. You don't tell don't tell me. Nobody's it's bad. making nobody's making you not drink during dry January. Don't tell me I should. Are you drink. so are you so lacking of a spine that the media can manipulate you willy nilly into drinking or not drinking? That's what they basically are positing, you know, is that we can't think for ourselves. Well that's that's a pretty sad commentary on the human condition, isn't it? And it's funny because they're always telling their viewers, think for yourself. Right. But when it's them telling you Well, think for our advertisers, I guess. Think I don't for know. our advertisers. But you know, I don't want to single out Fox News because no. this this is across the spectrum. Sure. It's uh you know, this is cable news. It's CNN, it's MSNBC. I don't know. But or, Fox Business, I mean, I used to watch Fox Business no, because they, a, they you know It's a schlocky brand. That's the Neil Cavuto's baby, right? Yeah, is it? I don't know. He's schmucky. They always had it on in my office, like the Fox business. Yeah. So I don't know. But um, anyway, Dry that, January. That, it, it, it annoyed me. It annoyed me to see them running down Dry January, even though I have my own issues with Dry January. You know, before I got sober, I never even heard of Dry January. Interestingly, hmm. enough. maybe it's gotten more popular. Did you hear of Sober October? No, it just it does rhyme though. Yeah, Sobertober. I mean, I like things that rhyme. I think it should work. Yeah, why not? 
Okay, on to a slightly more serious topic. Um, Can I is, read the uh, the title? I like of course. To read stuff. Yes, sorry. Fewer women are seeking addiction treatment in Massachusetts as use and overdoses increase. Does mass with a period? Does that mean Massachusetts? It does. Okay, because I just sort it's of not like it. Catholic mass. Despite the latest statistics showing an increase in opioid use and overdoses among women in Massachusetts, the number of women seeking addiction treatment has dropped dramatically. While the pandemic presented challenges to accessing treatment because of staffing and concerns about congregate settings, congregate settings, state officials are looking at other factors that may be behind the drop. Meanwhile, there are signs that lower demand is changing some programs, especially those specifically for Women. Mm. That is um, the beginning of the article. Now, what I the article sort of piqued my interest because I was I, I really it didn't hit me at first like why women would be seeking treatment less than men, and then uh, if I, as I read on, I, I realized that women have some unique challenges when it comes to uh, addiction treatment and the stigma for women is greater than that for men, especially women who have children. And if you go out there and you try and seek treatment, there is the concern that the state is going to get involved in the relationship between you and your child, yeah. try to take the kids away from you. Ugh. And, you know. That's interesting, um, but... Uh, huh. And and how are you, if you're a single mom, how are you supposed to go off for, for treatment? I've like, what, what, what do you do with your kids? There's some treatment centers that um, I've seen. I've just seen this on TV shows about it where they, they have a, a special treatment places they can stay, a treatment, uh, what do they call it, a rehab mm-hmm. that, and sober living that um, is specifically for uh, parents uh, with their child, um, which would be great if that were federally funded in every, uh, in every state. That would be the only place. But failing that, you're right. What do you do? Um, if you don't have parents that can help or you, you know, well, do you get the child taken away? Well, uh, the Dimock center in Boston, um, Maya Betts, the center's chief behavioral health officer says there are many reasons women might not choose to seek treatment. So, uh, including parenting responsibilities, as we said. Um, so what, what some of these places are doing like victory programs in Boston, there are many more women that need treatment, but they are not showing up. So they're giving the beds to men just so that there are no empty beds in the facility because, of course, the demand for treatment among both men and women far exceeds the supply of available treatment beds available. But Betts said that uh, um, the one motivator is child care, child care issues and custody issues. Women are opting out of treatment to ensure that their children stay in their custody. Mm-hmm. Um, even at DIMOC, which has programs designed for women trying to reunite with their children, Beth says women are sometimes reluctant to enter treatment. Nine of DIMOC's 39 detox beds are for women, and uh, Beth says often those beds are empty. Um, many studies show that women especially benefit from programs that can specifically address trauma, sexual abuse, and violence and family caretaking responsibilities. For many women, these topics can be difficult to openly address in mixed gender settings. So that's another barrier to treatment, right? Women may not feel comfortable sitting in a, in a, a meeting full of men talking about sexual trauma. Right. Well, so, yeah, there's lots of unique needs. Uh, so gender-specific treatment can be very helpful to to people's recovery. And it's important. And if you guys out there like me have been in the rooms uh, and different rehabs, you would know that they are very strict 
uh, at any rehab I've ever been to about even talking to a female. Mm. Um, I got even written up, and I was married at the time, and honey, if you're listening, I was not flirting with this random reco- uh, like uh, rehab <laughs> girl, you know, but I was just, you know me, I'm friendly with everyone. I love women, um, and I, you know, just like anybody, like people, so... That went against, you know, my 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 natural state of being to avoid women, you know. But because I talked to this one girl, you know, I said like "Good morning" or something, and I was just being friendly. I got written up, You're a predator. So, well, that's what they're trying <laughs> to protect against. But there's, and in AA, they always have. Uh, well, not always, but you see, like this is a women's only meeting. Uh, Dopey Zoom does that. Well, they'll have right. women's and men's only because yeah. And there are things men want to talk about because sure. men are disgusting. Right. Uh, uh, women maybe don't want to hear because let's say they're coming from um, a background where they've been abused sexually or otherwise. Right. They really don't want to hear some, you know, one of us go on and on about our conquests or something along those lines. But if you look at the structure of a lot of these treatment programs, I mean, many of them were created decades ago by by men principally with who had alcohol problems. And so they don't actually match the needs That's right. uh, for, for women or women with children or someone who's experienced homelessness or trauma or has been sexually trafficked. So, you know, I, I think... Well, that's where Al-Anon came from, actually. Do you know about this? Yeah, I know this, all about Al-Anon. The, but, the but, history of Al-Anon was, um, and this is interesting, if I can remember it properly, uh, Bill and Bob started their meetings, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Lois, uh, Bill's wife, and the other wives would be in the kitchen. Right. And so they had that separated group, and that later became Family Support and Al-Anon. But, so, yeah, from the get-go, it was all male. I mean, Al-Anon is, is great, and, that, and now it's sort of expanded to any family member who has another family right. member. But, I mean, when it comes to, like, gender-specific treatment for women, I think, I think really some of these treatment facilities and programs need to step up and 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 come up with programs that are specifically geared towards helping women maybe by providing childcare when you're in an intensive outpatient situation, or even if you're in an inpatient or a detox or, or, you know, you have, you have drug courts where, you know, you get diverted and you, you don't, you know, get the consequences of whatever crime it was you committed as long as you successfully complete a program, you know, and, and there are problems with that too. But, but what about, you know, something in a, in the family courts where if a woman goes into a diversion program and completes it, then there's no repercussions in terms of child custody or the state's not going to step in and take your kids away. I mean, I mean, uh, it just seems like um, the fact that, that the increasing number of women who need treatment is, and it's a total mismatch with women coming forward and asking for help because the services are just not there. They're just not targeted for them. And I think that's a, a gaping hole in, in, the, in the recovery uh, that's uh, it's interesting, and I wonder, I guess the, the thing that would be helpful here is the comparison of like, you know, how many men who need it accept treatment and how many women who need it accept it. I wonder right. what that is, but it, or, or are there just, maybe there's just more men who uh, get themselves in these kind of trouble. Maybe women are more responsible in general, you know? Could that be? I mean, I, I think I think you could almost say that as a rule. Yeah. <laughs> that's why women I mean, should be president. I mean, that's why, you know, the, all the tropes are out there about men going out for a pack of cigarettes and never coming and back. Never, yeah, you don't you hear know, the women doing it. Right, that. and leaving their kids, you know, at home. I mean, I'm sure it happens, but I don't think it happens with anywhere near the frequency that men sort of shirk off their responsibilities. and They do lots you know. of shirking off. <laughs> um, I think if... <laughs> I, I think 
I'm sorry. This is very serious. <laughs> sorry. I think, uh, you know, bringing it back to our, um, the way we're going to fix uh, the state of addiction and treatment, which is what we're, the book we're working on, on the Unified Field Theory of Addiction and Recovery, I think we have to have a component that addresses these things in our recovery, and our federally funded recovery centers. That In Malibu. We're going to, it could be in Malibu, but we can, we got to have them in every state. Oh, okay. Remember, yes. these yeah. are what this is our dream. Like once right. we get right. the, the grant from the government, we're gonna. I'll run the Malibu one. You run the Malibu one, and um, we'll guarantee sobriety every single. Although time. I'm not skinny enough for LA. And I'll say, I used to be an addict. Now I'm not. <laughs> Everybody's out there laughing. You know what I'm talking about. Um, but you have to. I think it's it's important to have. You know, because you have to protect. You have to protect everybody who's going for treatment. But. Uh, young women have uh, special considerations and older women with children have special considerations right. that are different from men and boys or teenagers. And so I think that's definitely got to be part of the solution is these uh, places where if a, a woman has a child, she must care for that. Uh, and this is being done some places, but we have to have this in all of our treatment centers. Right. And then, you know, we should have it available to single dads, too, to the extent that that's No, fuck them. Well. Let, let the dads just fucking jump in the Hudson. But you know what else? Just kidding. You know what else, Nat, is uh, particularly, particularly needed when it comes to um, recovery centers and, and recovery programs? Condoms. <laughs> that would go a long way towards resolving a whole host of problems. <laughs> but um, long-term support for long-term recovery. A hundred percent. Are you reading this in the in the Evans book too? No. Uh, in fact, an article uh, came out on 13abc.com uh, there, from Toledo, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Oh, is uh, that the next? That was your segue? It is. I That's my it. segue. I like it. Uh, you know, of, of course, we know the number of drug overdose deaths continues to climb to record levels, despite the fact that more treatment options and facilities are available. Mm-hmm. Um Wow, 70% of the drug overdose deaths last year were men. That's interesting. Um, Those in addiction treatment say there is a missing link in the chain of treatment that needs to be filled. Mm. And Team Recovery out of Toledo, Ohio, is getting ready to open a program to do just that. It's a long-term sobriety treatment approach that just may help. Matt Bell is the CEO of Team Recovery, and he says, we're going to start to look at every component of someone's life and make sure that all of these pieces are getting better. Um, good idea. Did, were we just talking about this on the show? Did we just read a book? My brain is mush. <laughs> I, I must, guys, I listen to so many different podcasts, read so many. I'm starting to get confused as to where I'm getting my information. We, we may have mentioned something like this before, but this kind of jumped out at me. Um, it's just treating the whole, uh, yes. the whole person so, and their life afterwards. So this center that this, they're creating in Ohio mm-hmm. will specialize in long-term treatment and support focusing on building a life uh, for people that have been out of life because of their addiction for years. So vocational life skills, mm. how to build a resume, how to interview uh, appropriately, how to improve your credit, how to budget your finances, a holistic approach. Bob Forrest, I was, um, right now I'm actually going back and listening to early dopey episodes just so I can get some perspective, mm. um, <clears throat> cause I'm helping with some producing stuff. And, uh, and I got up to the, the Bob Forrest, his first episode, and that's exactly what he was talking about. Cause who's Bob Forrest? Bob Maybe Forrest, listeners would benefit from a bit of a background sketch on Bob Forrest. Right. Bob Forrest was the lead singer of a band called 
Thelonious or Thelonious Monster. Mm. Uh, we famously drove um, Red Hot Chili Peppers tour bus and was on tour with them and was good friends with them and then was a really bad uh, heroin addict, amongst other things. And then he, you know, got sober and he was driving uh, the druggy buggy, which uh, when you go to uh, inpatient treatment, the druggy buggy is the van that they take right. uh, people to outside meetings uh, in it. And he was the driver for uh, Pasadena Center for Recovery. So Joseph Naus. Yes. Uh, mm. He also drove Joseph Naus. And he's a partner with um, Evan Haynes, who, whose book we keep talking about because we'll never <laughs> finish it. And eventually we will finish it. Uh, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, uh, oh, famous yes. for Celebrity Rehab. And, uh, and on this first interview on Dopey with, um, with Bob Forrest, he was talking about that very thing. I think this is what I was thinking about. And he was saying, you know, we're going to blow up the whole rehab industry. Like, they're not treating the person. Like, think of any other disease where, like, you would go for your treatment and they say, have a nice day and never follow up with you, which was also the anonymous people we were talking yes. about. Yes. And so... Uh, well, the cancer, like we were talking, I think, last cancer. week, cancer people who, once they... Well, that was an anonymous people, right? When you complete a course of cancer treatment, there's all this post-treatment support available to you in order to put it. your life back together. It doesn't cost right. more. It's like, we'll see you in three months. We'll see you in six right. months. And there's nothing like that. Now, I have to say, um, in all honesty, when I was first um, being sold, uh, and that's not the right way to put it, when I one of the times I failed out of uh, my outpatient, the mm -hmm. Tempo Group, which I hated those people, they were pushing, uh, they were like, you need a higher level of care. And if any of you out there have ever failed mm -hmm. in outpatient, th that's the code word for, we're going to make some money sending you to our favorite I see. inpatient. And because uh, they didn't give me any options. They said, look, you're pissed dirty again. They had this big meeting with me and my parents mm. and my wife Ugh. and the therapists. And I'm sitting there and they're saying, he needs a higher level of care. We've picked out this place called Copac, which was in Mississippi. Ugh. And I said, oh, that's interesting because uh, I was interested in, in getting recovery. You know, right. I knew I fucked up, but I'm like, I'm not ready to give up yet. I want to... Um, I want to do something about it. And I mm -hmm. said, tell me more about this Copac. And they said, well, it's in Mississippi. And I'm like, mm, that's a problem, but <laughs> I, I can stand 28 days. And they said, mm, it's not 28 days. I go, oh, 90 days is a bit much, but I guess I'll do it because I want to get better. Right. And he said, mm, not 90 days. It's uh, six to 12 months. Uh, Fuck. And I said, really? And I had two small children, still do, but at the yeah. time I had two small, smaller children. Right. And I'm sitting there and my dad looks at me because he's a reasonable chap. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he, he's wary of people who are hoodwinking other yeah. You know, he was like, hmm, this is interesting. And, uh, and I said, wait, so what is this thing? And it's a whole, like a town based around recovery where you do the intensive part, which is like typical 28-day program type stuff. And then they move you into like housing that's like a halfway house that's part of their program. Right. You get a job in the town. You interact oh, sounds... with it. And that goes on and they lower you to different levels until you're working in the community in your own apartment. That sounds like a, almost like a synonym kind of thing. Well, but, the, you know, that was the only thing. And when I said, this is interesting too, I was like, I, have to, I can't do that. I, I, I said, I want to get recovered. I want to be in recovery. I want to go to rehab, but I can't leave my family for Mississippi for an entire year for this. Yeah. 
the, the treating therapist, who is my group leader, stood up and says, you don't want this bad enough. I'm done. Really? I walked out of the meeting. Fuck you, Marty. You're an asshole. Yeah, seriously. Um, that was Marty. He's a fucking asshole. He sucked. And, uh, and I hate him so much. And I don't He's hate He was probably people. getting a kickback from this place. Well, when I said, I think there's a few other places that maybe I could go to. I've done my own research. I like the looks of this. I like the looks of this one. They're local. Mm-hmm. They said, well, that's just you doing your own recovery. That's your will. And where did your will get you last time? We're telling you this is where you should go. And you're telling us wow. trying to control your own recovery. Watch your wallet, man. And, that uh, sounds like that's such bullshit. My dad was like, we're going to go. Thank you. And they kicked me under there and I had to find another. Wow. Because keep in mind, I had to complete an outpatient thing. Right. In order to get my driver's license back and come off of probation. Mm. That so they was, got you by the balls, basically. Balls. You know, it would have been great if I could just stay sober, but listen, I was suffering. Right. Suffering. So I think, I think a place like, well, I think a place like that, the place in Mississippi sounds like it's just a clip joint. Right, that they're just they're milking you for whatever money they can get out of your insurance company or out of you just to pay, and at the same time they're having you do work in a company town that they probably have contracts out to to somebody else. Yeah, was and, in and on just that yeah, same story exactly. But is there a, is it possible because that sounds like the um, what you were just talking about, like a whole list? Well, of but, things, but so. no, I think I, <laughs> right? I think it's a little different because you can you can structure a recovery program that doesn't involve six months uh, away from your family, or as 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 the guy says in the interview, they can stay here for as long as they need to. That might take five years for one person. It might take six months for the next person. So, I guess it depends on what what sort of recovery is actually being being uh, given there. I mean, if it really is a comprehensive program that allows you to, to develop your um, your life skills, mm. well, great. But if it's just like a, um, something like a program that you were being railroaded into, well, now you got me all like, well, shit, maybe this is a big, maybe it's a big con. Well, it sounds you know? that way, you know, and another aside to that story is at Tempo Group where I was going, there was a, a gentleman in group with me who had done the COPAC program, mm. gone through the whole thing, come back, and he was you know, in the meeting again because they would keep you in their treatment forever. And uh, he sang the praises of it. He would say, it saved my life. It saved my marriage. Stockholm Syndrome? Uh, <laughs> I got this sense that he was a little bit spaced out. You know, that could have just been his personality and all the drugs he did. Mm. Um, and so, I don't know, man. I just, I couldn't imagine you know, being away from my young children uh, for that long. Uh, my son still, my oldest son, still brings up my business trip mm. that I went on. Uh, so, and I was telling the the therapist at the time, I can't go away for 28 days. I've got, you know, my son needs me. So and they there said, needs to be a practical approach to recovery also, because, yeah. because it would be one thing if, if going away for a month or two months, if there was some statistical evidence that it actually benefited you in long-term recovery but the fact is that evidence does not exist that's mm. not a, it's not effective it's effective for a short period of time but over time it's not particularly proven to be a, an effective way mm. of having people maintain long-term sobriety so what you're doing is you're t- you're severing you're taking people out of relationships out of and putting them in a, in a strange place for the only reason it seems to me that to do that is to uh, collect insurance money i don't know man like I've been getting a little down thinking about how 
I, I don't know what the answer is. Like, I've had people come up to me recently and talk to me about, like, what do I do? How do I get sober? And I found myself not knowing what to say because I've studied so many uh, different modalities now. Maybe this is the downside to studying everything. Mm. And I've seen how it goes wrong and where it goes wrong. And I just, I like, I don't have a good answer for anybody right now. I think, I think a better answer than sending somebody to a, a place uh, like a rehab for 28 days is immediate intensive trauma therapy mm. to get to the root of why people feel like they need to go right to the drug or the drink to anesthetize themselves to keep them away from feeling their feelings. Because if you just send somebody somewhere for 28 days, make them go to three AA meetings a day and maybe meet with a counselor once a week, that's not doing anything for anybody. All you're doing is removing them from the environment where the drug is, and they're just going to go right back to it when they get out because nothing upstairs has been fixed. So, you know, uh, this reminds me, I told you guys about a, a, a friend of mine who uh, will remain nameless um, a, few, a bunch of months ago where... He was 5150 I don't know if you remember this. It was a close friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And it was a friend of a friend, actually, uh, a boyfriend of a friend. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I advised her on, you know, from afar, because I didn't want to be too close to it because I wasn't feeling, like, uh, safe. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, but he went, got 5150 which means um, psych hold, you know, against your will type of thing in a hospital. And then he stayed for the hospital detox. He was um, addicted to alcohol more than anything. So it was very important that he stayed in the hospital. <clears throat> he went from there to the same rehab that I went to, mm-hmm. uh, completed it. He came out. And, uh, and from there, I was trying to get him to, you know, like go to meetings. I, I see, I, when it comes down to it, that's the first place I tell people they should go. Um, with all of the problems that we talk about with AA and all of that, it is still the most ubiquitous instant group of caring people who are, understand what you're going through that is out there. Mm-hmm. And in any case, I sent him in that direction, and uh, it didn't take. And he had another bout in the hospital. Yeah, because he's, he's still with himself. Yeah, well, yeah. But now he's back out again, and he's been doing great. Um, but he he hasn't been able to find, like, uh, he's not comfortable going to AA meetings. He doesn't like it, and I think... You know, he's like dipping and dabbing a little bit, but, Mm. um, you know, very moderate, you know, and and he's not happy with that. Um, And I don't know what to tell him, you know, like I've always said that, um, you know, harm reduction is great. I always talk about harm reduction and, and heroin and other drugs, but I've always had this thing inside where, you know, alcohol is a no, no matter what. But I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong there too. Is there a an alcohol harm reduction model where you know you take a little bit of you know your beverage of choice every day? I mean, that's kind of no. what he's doing. <laughs> I think I, no. I'm hearing about this from afar. I did not you know ask him to do this, but I've I've just learned that this is kind of what's going on uh, on top of going to therapy and he's trying things. But why not try like Sinclair or something like that instead of that? I I mean. I'm going to talk to him about it. I've been keeping a distance because I, I don't know. I felt like I shouldn't overstep, uh, and I do care about him. And he's a really great guy, and um, I know he is seeing a doctor about it and working through and a therapist. And so I'm hoping, you know, that this doctor will be able to. And it is trauma. Mm-hmm. You know, there is trauma there. So 
I don't know. Like, I, I don't even have an answer. This is just things that happened, you know, and I don't, I don't know what to do with it. You know, yeah. I don't know what to say is the right thing. Well, we're not, that guy. we're not experts in addiction medicine or anything else. And, and I think the very fact that nobody in the medical community really has a handle on what addiction is means it's very difficult to treat it. I mean, I have some ideas and I think that unless you want to be in perpetually in a state of desiring to check out of your own head, you know, you have to deal with what's inside there. You can stop drinking and you can just constantly be in a state of deprivation from drinking And how do you get someone there? Like Sergeant Slaughter too. I was, when I was talking to him and I've had this conversation with him a thousand times, like, you know, he's uh, been to rehab more than once. I think people like that need medical treatment. I think they need, they need naltrexone or something like that. And that's usually what I go to because I have to look at my own experience. And when I'm very honest with myself, you know, it's great to romanticize a white light experience or, mm-hmm. you know, I saw the sunset one day and I knew I never wanted to drink again or I looked into my children's eyes right. and in there yeah. I saw sobriety. Um, <laughs> I wish it were like that, but when I'm very honest with what I went through, I can really put my finger on the um, on the time right after I OD'd, mm-hmm. nearly died, and my addiction doctor prescribed me Camprol, a camprosite, and naltrexone. And once I, and it wasn't just taking that, I was also active in therapy, active in recovery. Yes. But with those drugs, that combination of being in recovery, seeing a therapist, seeing a doctor, taking those pills after six months of that. Right. I mean, I was a new person. It worked for you. The craving. And even when I stopped taking those medications, again, I'm not a doctor. This is what my doctor prescribed to me. I never had a physical craving ever again. Mm-hmm. I just never craved it again. It's like, it's amazing, but I, I don't want to recommend, well, I, I can't say this is for you because. No, it was for you though. And and yeah. I think it should be maybe, maybe it should be the first step of frontline treatment. It should not be like a last measure. Yeah. I mean, basically what I'm saying is I don't know. And it makes me feel helpless that I yeah. can't, you uh, know, the one thing I do know is that anybody I talk to who is in trouble or um, in a bad way with addiction, the one thing that always makes it better is me listening to that person. Oh, yeah. And me sure. telling that person you're not alone and, um, and you can mess. Like, that is where, I mean, magic happens. You know, it doesn't solve it, but sometimes people just need to know that someone cares about them. If people feel like they're being heard, they're also much more likely to be receptive to yeah, without other shooting things. down the, exactly. the things there's like of course if they have feelings that's their feelings you right. can't tell them their feelings are wrong no feelings aren't facts as they say and you are not your feelings no. either you know hmm. good discussion yeah all right one quick little uh don't we have men- another one we do we do let's read do another wanna, one you yep. want to do another one no you want to do it yeah okay because this one i it just blew my mind. Blew my mind. Is this bill to decriminalize? Yes. Okay. Bill to decriminalize fentanyl test strips goes to Governor Evers in Wisconsin. Legislation that would decriminalize fentanyl test strips is on its way to Governor Tony Evers' desk. Quote, even if we save one life from this bill passing and the governor signing it, that's a victory in our state, says Rep. 
uh, Jesse James of Altoona, I love that name, on January 25th, <laughs> both the Wisconsin State Senate and Assembly passed a bill that would decriminalize the test strips. Fentanyl is used for pain management in hospitals, but when used without quality control, it can be lethal. <laughs> quality control. Uh, <laughs> <What is? laughs> safe supply. Okay. Uh, Rep. James, uh, author of Assembly Bill 619, said fentanyl test strips can be a life-saving tool, but they're still illegal in Wisconsin because they're considered drug paraphernalia, and possessing them could mean being charged with a felony. Full stop. Yeah. What the fuck? What the fuck? These things are illegal because they're considered drug paraphernalia and you can be charged with a felony? It, I don't understand this. Um, I just heard um, somebody on a podcast, can't remember who, they were talking about this with a guest. And uh, this, this particular guest was uh, a harm reduction advocate who has his own, like Tracy Hilton. Mm-hmm. And they were discussing this very thing and how crazy it is you know, because they in the in the needle vans and things where they do needle exchanges. Yeah, of course they they're also giving out fentanyl test strips. But um, he noted that you know by me uh, having these test strips in our in our facility, I could be charged with a federal crime. I mean, what is possession what is wrong with this country? Yeah, I don't. You know what? You know what is completely absent from this story? What? Any indication on whether the governor is likely to sign the legislation or not? Why do you think they don't? They're not saying that. Uh, that's interesting. Um, James said he's gone through twenty-four years of sobriety himself, so he hopes this bill uh, helps illicit drug addicts modify their behavior and bring about the prevention of harm reduction. "Quote: If we uh, if we can have our users do the safety precautions in testing the substance that they're going to take first, hopefully they'll either use less of the substance or they will not use it at all." The bill has had bipartisan support since it was proposed. James estimates it will go before the governor in two weeks, who has the final say in officially decriminalizing the possession of fentanyl test strips in the state. I have a lot to say about this, but it's getting very late. And I, I, um, I just I just can't believe that this is 2022. We have 100,000 opioid overdose deaths a year in this country. Yeah. And People are being prosecuted for fentanyl test strips. It doesn't make sense. Uh, I think there was this similar problem with Narcan, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but these things are starting to change. And, uh, and we can sit around all day and debate why are these crazy laws out there. But at the end of the day, we just need to change it. You know, the why is people are dumb. They're misinformed <laughs> and they're running the country. Well, it certainly seems like the Wisconsin legislature has done their job. The question is whether the governor is going to do it. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I don't know. That's, I don't know. And that is Recovery in the News. Spectacular. Extended version. Yeah. All right. All right. (laughs) Why not? Why not? Are are we starting to come to the end of this very lengthy road today? I think we are. And, um, you know, live from Castle Grayskull. That's the new, uh, I don't Uh, think I said that. This is Castle Grayskull. And now it's time for Week and Weird. Fisherman chased by monstrous mystery creature with glowing eyes. By who? Tim Banal. 
A chilling piece of footage captured by a fisherman in Brazil shows his boat being pursued by a rather sizable mystery creature sporting an ominous set of glowing eyes. The eerie scene reportedly unfolded earlier this month in the waters off the coast of the country's southernmost state, Rio Grande. De Sol. In the video, which we will provide in the show notes link. You always say that, but we never provide it. <laughs> I'm waiting for one complaint. The fisherman's <laughs> boat can be seen cruising away from the city skyline at night when suddenly a large dark form with glowing eyes emerges <laughs> from the water and gives chase to the vessel. Oh my. Over the course of the next several seconds, the aquatic beast pursues the boat, bobbing up and down in the water and getting perilously close on a few <laughs> occasions. Posting the video online, the witnesses the witness simply captioned the footage, quote, wanted to attack me, <laughs> without any indication of what the menacing monster might have been. While some viewers have suggested that the creature was simply a harmless seal, oh. the fisherman managed to keep the animal at bay and apparently never discovered what was chasing him. With that in mind, what's your theory? It was a harmless seal. No, I think it was a sea monster. And Any animal at night, when you shine a light at them, the eyes will glow. And if it's Bigfoot, I think there's a red eye shine. Oh. I think it's so no. Do we have a sea Bigfoot? I don't know. What would that be um, called, even? Leviathan? Sea oh. Bigfoot might be... That's what be, they call uh, the whale. Sea uh, Bigfoot. The Loch Ness Monster is the equivalent, you know, lore-wise. Except there's only one Loch Ness Monster, but they think that's a plesiosaur. I have sat in this very chair... Well, not in this very chair, but in a similar chair, and listen to you read me stories about mermaids mm -hmm. in the past. Yes. So maybe well, it was a mermaid. It could have been a mermaid. It could have been a... It could have been a murderous mermaid. A murderous mermaid on the move. And that <laughs> is This Week in Weird. Are we done? Well... <laughs> That about does it for today. I know I had a great time. Did you? Fucking ducky, man. It was great. Thank you so much for listening. Visit us at middleagesrecovery.com, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, YouTube, and Twitter. So tweet us at what you twit. Support your favorite show. Please drop us a five-star review on iTunes. Be like Joseph Naus. Yeah, do what Naus does. The Naus is in the house, and you should be too. Um, Spotify also has reviews. Please. Yeah, we're by the way, we're yep. keeping our spot our podcast on Spotify, just in case you guys were worried. Yes, yes, we're not, we're not making any kind of statements. Um, buy a T-shirt. There's really great T-shirts um, on our website. You just go to middleagesrecovery.com. They're actually the right upstairs. They're not only on our website. They're in my living room, They're in, directly above our head. And I've got some of the older ones. Um, simply write and say hello. Um, we love meeting new monsters and chopping it up on the Facebook group. Join us on the Inner Sanctum, patreon.com slash recovery in the Middle Ages. We have video episodes on there. We have a Soon Discord. to have another one. We're making another one. We, we're talking to the Monsters on there a lot. We also... Chopping it up. We hang out uh, on the Facebook private group. Please come over there and um, check it out, please. And finally, the best way to help the show is to share it with a friend. If you get something out of our little show, please share the love and help grow the RMA movement. S'il vous plaît. And from all of us here at Castle Grayskull Studios... Au revoir. As we say, <laughs> non proficiat perfectum. That's progress, not perfection. See you next time. Be good. Bonsoir. Ça va? Kalinica. Uh, Buenas noches. Hasta la vista, baby. Bye.